Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Pickles and Vodka, the unfiltered mental health podcast dedicated to the things nobody wants to talk about in real life. I'm your host, Christina, and I was just thinking about how one year ago today I was putting together the first episode of this podcast, or at least I was starting to order equipment and put together a list of guests, and I remember being super nervous, like I didn't think anyone in their right minds would ever listen to it. It was just something that I really wanted to do for myself, because I had spent so long going through a difficult time and having all these negative thoughts and emotions bouncing around inside my head with nowhere to go. Like I, I couldn't talk to anybody in real life about them. And so the obvious solution was to start a podcast and tell virtual strangers. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's been almost a year and that's kind of crazy to think about. Um, it's the first Monday of November which um, I have mixed feelings about, but mostly excitement. November and December are going to be big months for me because I just got approved for my very first apartment in my adult life. Um, I'm 27 and I've never lived alone. Um, That's something I'm kind of embarrassed to admit, even though I know that it's not as rare as it used to be. Um, I have a bunch of friends who live with roommates or live with their parents, and it's not uncommon, but um, living alone is something I've always wanted to do, and it's finally happening. So I'm super excited. I'm moving into a studio apartment a little bit closer to my work. So yeah, send me all your tips for living alone, because I know, um, I mean, this is probably going to be another episode in the future, but I know living alone comes with its own set of challenges on a mental health level. Like on one hand, it's nice to have your own place, but on the other, you're completely isolated. And for those who have a tendency to isolate, like me, um, that can be rough. So I'm, I'm a little nervous about that. And like I said, I, I kind of want to do an episode about it in the future. But uh, I'm really excited about today's episode. Just uh, as a disclaimer, we do talk about suicide and self-harm in detail. And so if that's the kind of thing that triggers you, you might want to proceed with caution. But yeah, it's a great episode. Thank you so much to everybody who reached out about being guests. I have a full schedule the next few weeks um, interviewing you lovely people. And it's going to be a great rest of the year for this little podcast. Um, As always, if you want to be a guest on the show or you have something on your chest you want to talk about, you have a question, or even if you just have a meme, like, I can't believe I haven't said this already, but if you have a mental health meme, please send it to me. Like, I post them to the Instagram and I have a whole folder on my phone for them. And um, I send them to friends when they're going through a hard time. I, I ask for them when I'm going through a hard time. And um, I just, it's my love language. So yeah, send them to picklesandvodkapodcast at gmail.com. With that said, I'm just going to jump straight into the interview with Kelly. And I hope you guys have a great rest of your Monday. Hello. Hi. (laughs) I'm glad we finally got to do this. This is our third try. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I'm sorry. I just haven't been feeling very well. No, it's that time of year. And then like the whole time zone thing fucked me up. 
I like yeah. still don't really have a handle on time zones. I know. I was I was like, oh shit, <laughs> three o'clock your time. I wasn't even like thinking. <laughs> My brother has this app called like Time Buddy. And if you have friends in different time zones, it like tells you what time it is for them and you. I meant to download it, but that's too much work. Yeah, <laughs> I have enough. <laughs> My phone always tells me I don't have any space and I have like four apps. So uh, it's an iPhone 7. Like it's not that old, but I guess the technology is dying. I don't like to buy the new one until like the old one is completely crapped out because they're just they pump out new ones so frequently mm-hmm. so I'm like okay well I'll just wait till like I absolutely have to yeah, buy the new one if it ain't broke don't fix it well thank you so much for doing this I know you're super busy with life and everything and I'm just honestly excited to catch up with you because I feel like we haven't talked in forever you visited me in Seattle what when was yeah. that the spring yeah I think it like May or June or something yeah yeah you were wearing I a can- super cute jumpsuit with flowers on it. <laughs> yes, thank you. I do I do love that jumpsuit. <laughs> How long have we known each other? Let's see. What, what time did I you think... start at the store? Because we met, we were both working at the same coffee shop. That was... Yeah, 2015? I think, two thousand. is it 2016? Is that when I moved to Austin? I think so. Oh, wow. So only three years. So much has happened in three years. It's crazy. I know. Wait, it feels like a lot longer than that. Yeah, I remember like that was right before I left the store, but you came to uh, you transferred in and I thought you were so cool. Um, yeah, you were my first friend in Austin. <laughs> what was that place I took you to? Yellow Jacket. We went Yellow Jacket. We yeah. went to Yellow Jacket and we got a cheese plate and it was great. It was amazing. Yeah, by the tracks. <laughs> <laughs> so how are you doing these days? Or do you want to start by like introducing yourself to the listeners? Sure. Hi, everyone. <laughs> My name is Kelly. Um, I am currently living in Ohio, and it's cold as fuck. But <laughs> I don't know. I am 28. And I don't know what else am I supposed to say? <laughs> what's your What's your background with mental health? Because you got a lot going on there. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, five years ago, I was hospitalized for a planned suicide. Um, I was diagnosed bipolar disorder and anxiety disorder. So I've been treated for that since then. And actually about a month or two months ago, my doctor told me that I was misdiagnosed. Oh, shit. So I'm actually, I actually have um, depression and anxiety disorder, not bipolar disorder. So I've been mismedicated and overmedicated for the last five years. So it was a little bit of a shock. So the last round of medicines that I was on, um, she was just like appalled by what I was on. I was taking too much and one was like, amplifying another one and they were both anti-seizure medicines and she was like you don't have seizures why are you on this one of them she said that um, they don't give it to patients who are under 40 so she couldn't believe I was on it so it's just a bit of a shock yeah no kidding and you've been on that for five years one of them I've been on for five years the other one I'd only been on for like about a year I'd been on and off at least like 10 or 15 different medicines or different um like strengths of medicines and this all started five years ago with the suicide attempt like before then have you been diagnosed with anything yeah Mm -hmm. 
the first time that I remember feeling super depressed and actually the first time that I hurt myself, I was 13 and I wasn't hospitalized until I was 23. So I was dealing with a lot of stuff. Yeah. For 10 years that I just basically was telling myself, like everyone else can handle it. Everyone else can do it. Why can't I do it? I'm just not good enough, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, I actually went about like seven years or so without crying ever. So that was like a big, I was just like, so uh, like just dissociating that I just wouldn't allow myself to feel anything because of just how bad it I felt all the time. So did you feel like you had to put like a strong face on or were you worried about judgment? Um, I felt like I had to be strong, like for my family, I was, I've kind of assumed the role of the caretaker, not so much anymore. Um, ever since my hospitalization, the family dynamic has changed a little bit because we've kind of, things have come out into the open and we've had real conversations, but I used to be the caretaker pretty much of everybody. So I felt like I didn't really have an option to be sick. Yeah. I can relate to that so much because I'm the oldest of seven and it was kind of the same with me. I'd been struggling with these things super quietly and until it all just blew up in everyone's faces. Because like when you're when you're taking care of when you're like an example, you can't be sick. Like you have too much, too many people looking at you and depending on you. Yeah. I mean, my whole family struggles with different um, forms of mental illness. So it's, um, it's just kind of been like our burden. My sister's the only one who's not diagnosed with anything. And she's the black sheep of the family. (laughs) Is this a sister that you're hanging out with now? How many how many siblings? Yeah, she just left. I just have the one younger sister. And um, she just left again. Actually, she lives in Seattle. And so she just left. She's coming home or going. What was it like growing up for you? Like you said, a lot of your family members had mental health issues. Was that was that talked about often or kind of swept under the rug? I guess I kind of knew because it was kind of talked about. Um, it wasn't, I guess, like I knew that they had it, but it was still like a, I wasn't going to admit it to myself sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and so, when, yeah, when I was younger, uh, my parents fought a lot. And so it was kind of my job as the oldest to kind of be the caretaker and be the strong one and, um, you know, help my sister and all that. So I guess I knew about it. Um, I knew that things had happened, but it didn't really like change anything, you know, didn't really Mm -hmm. change my perception of things, which, you know, they do say like, if you keep that open dialogue, that's better. But I I was aware of it, but I still would never have admitted it to myself that I was sick. And um, even in college, I started seeing a therapist, but I refused to have any medicine because I was like, I'm not that sick. I just am going through something. I just need to get through it. And it wasn't until, yeah, the um, the planned suicide that I finally, like, realized, like, okay, I'm ready to get medicine. I'm ready to get help. It was actually, it's kind of interesting. Um, I just, on the, I remember on that day, I was, like, I was just sitting in the bathtub, and I was just kind of ready to end it all and my mom came home unexpectedly early and then my dad came home unexpectedly early and so we went to the hospital and it was just sort of like it felt like fate you know yeah they like 
heard a cry, you know, that they both just decided to come home because I was living with them at the time. Okay. Um, so it just, uh, I was very fortunate that the kind of the universe heard me and it was like, it's time to get help. And that was um, in December of 2014. Yeah, so it's almost it's almost five years, like exactly. Wow. So, what kind of stuff led up to the suicide attempt or the planned suicide? I mean, I had been depressed for a while, um, but then I decided to take a job back in Ohio. So I was living in Michigan, and I moved back from Michigan, and I got this job because I just thought that's what you're supposed to do. Like, I had an internship, and then I got a job. So I moved back, and I got the job. What did you go to school for? Um, I went to school for advertising and public relations, and I ended up being a graphic designer through all of that. So I worked at, um, I had a PR and graphic design internship, and then I got a job as a graphic designer at a marketing and communications place, I don't remember, agency, at an agency. (laughs) And I was their first one in, and I was like the last one out. I had, there was like no management at this place. Like it basically just made me feel like complete and total shit. Like they had a meeting about me in a conference room next to me talking about how I wasn't prepared for this, but like didn't include me. They're just talking about me and I had my headphones in, but there was like no music playing at the time and like I could hear them. So it was really strange. Just like, yeah, it, it was horrible. And so I lasted there like about four months and I was like, you know, I I can't do this anymore. I'm dying, working like 60 hours a week and like absolutely no help, like no training, no nothing. Yeah. And after that, um, I really lost myself because I felt like I failed and I wasn't that type of person. I was, you know, like I couldn't fail. Like that's not me. So I ended up just working some part-time jobs and I traveled a lot And that was really fun, but it wasn't, like, curing anything for me. Um, And then I was, like, living in this house with um, two other people, and they weren't the best roommates. Like, we were were definitely better friends than we were roommates. So it was just really a hard time for me. And then um, I started seeing this guy, and he was starting I like was noticing like these very like abusive patterns um not physical but like emotional like this Mm -hmm. and verbal like what he would say to me and I just like couldn't stand up for myself and so then I basically was like okay I've had enough like I'm so sad I can't do anything about it I don't even cry I like I don't know what to do anymore and that's when I was just like I'm done I'm done I can't do this anymore I remember like sitting there and just, I I was just screaming into the abyss, just saying like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm ready. This isn't like, this isn't going to happen. I'm not doing this anymore. And then, yeah, my, uh, my parents came home and they found me. Um, and then they took me to the hospital. And how long were you in the hospital? So I did inpatient for a week and then I had to do, intensive outpatient for I want to say a month and that involved going in for like six hours a day but you could go home afterwards or home for lunch or something and then I had to do a different kind of inpatient which was three hours a day three times a week and uh, that lasted I think about two weeks 
And so the last one that I was in actually was for um, people with addiction, but I hadn't really struggled with that up until that point. I've struggled with it since, but it was very interesting and eye-opening, and I met some interesting people. <laughs> Why were you um, placed in that group? I'm not sure. I think it was it had to do with um, my diagnoses being bipolar. I think they thought, I don't know. I talked to like the woman who was in charge of it. And I was like, I don't have an addiction problem. I'm not sure why I'm in this group. And she's like, well, you can feel free to stay or you can go. And I just stayed because like there was still a lot of camaraderie and a lot of well, a lot of the problems overlap. I know yeah. that when people do like yeah. AA and NA and stuff, they don't really address mental illness, but it's all related. And so I like I stayed there for a few days and I was like, I already I feel very close to these people and hearing their stories. So um, I just stayed and like, kind of finished it out that way. I've always felt like I connect more with addicts than anyone else. I mean, I consider myself an addict, but I don't know. There's just something about that level of vulnerability, just being completely powerless to your addiction. Yeah. Um, and it, it's very, it, it builds community. Yeah, I I um I struggled with addiction when I moved to Austin and then my whole life I struggled with uh like anorexia and bulimia um in phases. It never got bad enough that I had to be hospitalized or anything, thank goodness. But growing up as a dancer and not looking like a dancer definitely put a lot of pressure on me and uh so I've had struggled with like body dysmorphia and in some ways that's an addiction, I believe. Totally. You get addicted to not eating and you get addicted to throwing up or sometimes for me uh, for a while it was um, over excessively exercising. Um, that was actually the year that I was before I went into the hospital. I was exercising for like a couple hours every day, you know, two or three hours every night. And like I just wasn't eating. And so that was, I think, another thing, too. I just was like trying to feel something and working out just excessively, just trying to keep my mind occupied and off of how just lonely I was, I think. So, but yeah, I'm on a new regimen and the medicine's supposed to help with the bulimia and the depression and my anxiety. And so far, I think it's been going pretty well. Um, it's been, yeah, two months, but I like my new doctor. And so She's been helping me with this, but I'm not seeing a therapist, but I definitely think I should. It's just about um, finding the time and the right person because it's so stressful oh finding my God. a therapist. Tell me about it. And then there's like, weren't you having problems with your insurance or something like that? I'm always having problems with my insurance. I have no idea. I don't understand. <laughs> like, <laughs> I swear, every time I go to get a new prescription, I'm there for like an hour while they like try and contact my insurance because they can't figure it out or whatever and all this. It's always such a mess. Like I went to get a flu shot and they were like, um, your insurance isn't working. I was like, for fuck's sake, like it's a flu shot. I don't. So, yeah, I know. It's ridiculous. So it's like, I feel like I already have so many issues with it that it's like I have to mentally prepare myself to like be ready to find a new doctor. And then like, you know, if you don't like the first one you get, then you have to, you like, you know, you're 
shopping for doctors. Mm-hmm. I hate to think of it like that, but it's so true. Like you, you are shopping for doctors and it's not personal if you if someone's not working for you and you don't want to waste your time because you don't want to waste their time either. Yeah, I had a therapist in Austin who I felt like now it could be me being paranoid, but I swear she was like getting bored of me. And like when I would tell her things, she just was like tapped out. And I was like, are you like, are you even paying attention to me right now? Are you listening to me? Like, do you wish I was, I had different problems or something? Like I was yep. like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not coming back. I've had that happen too. It's really hard. And I mean, it's just a constant, just constantly trying to find someone. And um, yeah, I respect you a lot for doing that. Yeah, I still have to. Thank God I finally found a psychiatrist that I like. Actually, I'm going back to my general doctor that I went to when I lived here before. So he's known me forever, which is really great because for a while when I couldn't find a psychiatrist, he was helping me with my prescriptions. Like he couldn't prescribe me anything new, but you know, he was there and supporting me. And I went in, you know, with a cold one time or something. And he was like, how have you been doing mentally? Like, are you doing okay? How's the depression? You know? So like he really cares for me. And as, um, so that's really good too, just to have this nice, these nice doctors in your life. So it's, it's so important. It's so important. And I don't think people realize how important that is. Have you discovered any resources over your years of trial and error? Like, how did you get connected to this particular doctor? Was it just luck or? I had to call my insurance company and look somebody up to get the psych person, the psychiatrist. I looked up the the website and everything and I liked the, I liked the company and it was close to my house. And so I, that kind of lucked out, but yeah, I've always just had to go through my insurance. Um, like, Uh, it was ridiculous. I like went through my doctor, he recommended someone, but they don't take insurance. And it was going to be like $350 for the first appointment. And then like $200 for each follow up. I I was like, who has that kind of money? Yeah, no one, no one our age. Yeah, no, especially Yeah, not me, especially when I've been dealing with like, all of this for the last five years, I I mean, I've always had a job, but I've not had, like, this is my first salary job that I'm working right now. It's the first time I've ever, like, you know, not been working two jobs. I think I've worked at least two jobs. It's, like, for as long as I can remember. So um, it doesn't pay the bills to be sick, let me tell you. So how's that going for you now, working the one job? How's that going for your mental health? Oh, it's really good. Um, I really like this place. It's like got a family community atmosphere. I've known these people forever. You know, they wanted me to come back and help them with stuff. And I was kind of finally ready to move back because I'm back home now. And I really like it. I feel like I have a good rapport with everyone. And um, I just have a lot of freedom to do what I need to do. Like I work on, I'm not only doing graphic design, but so I work at a dance center and so I'm teaching dance too. And so it's, it's good. It's good. It's good stuff. I really am a lot happier. Uh, does, you know, I'm not like paid super well, but I'm like, I'm. You're happy. I'm happy. Yeah. Like that's it's so important. Hard to, <laughs> it's hard to like put that because I don't want to, I'm not trying to be like, oh, I'm not paid enough. Like I'm, I'm yeah. paid very fairly and I'm paid for what I do, but I'm just not in a very high paying field, you know, dance yeah. instructors, you don't make a whole lot of money. I mean, I think it would, it's more important to not hate your job. 
Because I mean, yeah, you've obviously more- been in a job where you know they talked about you behind your back and that drove you to suicide, <laughs> like literally. <laughs> Yeah, I remember one day I had a panic attack, like a full blown, I couldn't breathe. I had like pins and needles like running through my arms. I like crawled under the floor, the like cleaning lady found me and she was like, are you okay? It was like nine o'clock at night. It was awful. And then the next day, this girl that I was working with was like, that was really unprofessional of you to say that you were sick. And I was like, Oh my God, I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know what to do with you people. Oh my God, do they have no empathy or like understanding? I have no idea. But we were working on something and I was like, I, I think I'm going to throw up. Like, I can't, I, I'm sorry, we'll have to pick this up in the morning. And then, yeah, then the next day I got like a huge long email about how unprofessional that was. And I was like, I was literally having a nervous breakdown and I'm being reprimanded for being sick. It was unreal. This place was just... I don't know. I just was not prepared for it. And like the people there were really cool, actually. So the one guy that I worked with, he worked like two cubicles down from me. Um, He started working um, at the airport and he called me up about like two years, a year, a year later, I think. And he was like, hey, I know you're a great designer. I need a freelance designer. Do you want to join me? And I was like, heck yeah. So some good came out of it, you know, then I worked as a freelance designer for two years and, and I got to work with him and he was great. He was so understanding and really helped me out a lot. So that was, I guess something came out of it. Yeah. I mean, I don't think anything is a complete waste. Like at least you can't look at life like that. You have to just accept that some things are going to suck, but you take what you can and then move on. Yeah, exactly. I definitely have learned a lot over these last few years. I've grown a lot, definitely matured. I like consider myself a very late bloomer. And um, but I definitely have regrets. So that's not I mean, I'm not going to say that, but you definitely yeah. learn from stuff like I people are like, no regrets. I <laughs> yeah, well, I have a few. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's interesting with our generation. I see a very common theme of People being late bloomers, like you said. I mean, there's the whole economical culture right now and like the world's kind of fucked up and we're having to deal with it. And I think there's a lot of like we're not set up for success, but at the same time, there's a lot of pressure to succeed at the same rate that our parents did. Right. I mean, I don't want it to be like a cop out, like it's your fault. Everything sucks and it's your fault. But like a lot of us do deal with this stuff really badly yeah and I mean I'm very very fortunate to have a very supportive family and it we are living in a time now when I mean we can talk about this kind of stuff how like you have a podcast based on this like you know what 20 years ago or something people didn't really talk like this about it so it's it's very you know very blessed but I mean it's still I've been reminded by people how taboo it is because I found people in my life who really very much understand and who go through similar things but then I've met people who don't understand it at all and they make you feel really shitty about what you're going through because they just don't understand and I've been made to feel crazy and I know I'm certified I am but (laughs) I'm reclaim crazy (laughs) I know like but like I'm not 
I'm not crazy. Like these are real things that are happening. And that was something I struggled with a long time too, was that idea that everyone else is fine. Like, why can't I do it? I must just be like, it's just me. Well, everyone's faking it. Yeah. Yeah. Like literally everyone is going through stuff, no matter how put together they seem, but every, no one talks about it. Like even in today's enlightened age, like people still fake it all the time. I mean, look at social media, for instance. I know that's a huge trigger for some people. Yeah. When I was finally hospitalized, my family was just in shock. They were just like, we had no idea how sick you were or that you felt this way. I, so as I hit it, like I said, I didn't cry. I, you know, um, I remember having a couple of breakdowns, I think, but like for the most part, like, and now I cry all the time. Like there's this commercial out with this hedgehog and it's, it's so sweet. I wish I could remember what it's, so this is like cartoon hedgehog and I cry the whole time. I watched it for like a half hour on repeat and just like sobbed. And Aww. I'm very grateful that I can cry now because. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I know it seems like really silly, but I'm very happy that I can cry now because it really is therapeutic to be able to, but I got myself so locked up because everything hurt so badly that it was like if a little thing would send me spiraling and I didn't want to feel anything because nothing felt better than the potential of feeling so low. And I mean, I still have my days and, you know, like a couple weekends ago, it was, it was bad. I couldn't get out of bed. I was exhausted. I wasn't feeling good, like physically too. And you just kind of have to remind yourself that it'll pass, but there'll just be times when I just, I can't get up the, off the floor and I just think I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. I can't yeah. do this. Like I just can't be this sick anymore. And it it does, it passes and it passes a lot more quickly than it used to, but it's a lifelong battle. And you yeah. know, I used to say it was terminal. It can be. It can be for sure. It it's an illness. I mean, you just said it, like it affects you physically too. Not that that's the only indicator of sickness, but people don't realize that it's legitimate. Like, um, I've noticed lately, um, a trend among myself and my friends, like maybe it's something, maybe it's this time of year. I don't know. Everyone I know is fucking depressed right now. (laughs) Like they'll cancel plans or like, I mean, I I did it the other day. I canceled plans because I was just so low. I made up some shitty excuse. But, like, I just think, why do we have to do that? You know, why can't we just say, oh, I'm feeling really low. I can't meet up with you. Yeah, like, you feel like you have to make up an excuse other than just being like, I'm so depressed right now. I can't make it out. I think, And about- that would probably make us feel better because then we could be honest about it. Like, I was talking to my friend and I told him, I was like, can I be honest with you? And he was like, yeah, of course. I was like, I'm so depressed right now and I don't know what to do. And he was like, yeah, there's really, you know, there's people will say stuff and it, you know, it might not help it, but this will pass. And he said, the only thing that you should really do is get out of the house and get into the sun. Mm-hmm. And it's true. And I did, I went out and I took my dog on a walk and it does, it helps you just you don't have to do anything. You just have to get out of the house. And But it's so gray this time of year, like you're saying, that people are depressed. And it's true. Well, yeah, in we Seattle especially. 
A lot of people yeah, oh here. My God, a lot of people here so. have like lamps that they put inside their houses for like depression. Yep, I have happy lamp. Yep, you have. One? I have the happy lamp. Does yep. it work? Yeah, I keep it in my office. <laughs> I don't know if it makes a difference or not, but my mom got it for me, so I keep it in here because my office doesn't have any windows. So I just I leave it on, and it might be pseudo or something. But I know that people do say it helps, so. I think it, it just gets like so dark. And now that daylight savings has happened. Oh my God, so... I hate it so much. I'm glad I got to sleep in today, but God, I just know like it's probably dark outside. I can't, I can't see outside right now, but I can like guarantee that the sun has already gone down and. It's and... two o'clock here and it feels like four, like it's already like dusk outside. Right. Yeah. The sun's like setting and you're like, okay, that's cool. I really liked Austin for the warm and the sunshine, but I mean, I also had some really, really dark times in Austin. That's why my parents moved me home. They were basically like, you need to come home now because you are not well. I had some very bad breakdowns. I even like, I, I've called the suicide hotlines a couple times. And um, this was when you were with that guy, right? Um, this was actually when I was in Austin. So this was when I was dating, um, we'll say my coworker and you know him. Okay. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. I just, I won't, I don't want to use names or anything, but, yeah. um, shout out to you if you're out there. Um, <laughs> yeah. And he was again, very, I found myself again in a very emotionally abusive state and I wasn't well and I feel like I was taken advantage of and I hurt myself a lot. I hurt myself a lot because of how bad I felt about myself and I burned myself and cut myself and beat myself, um, you know, since I was 13. Um, and then last year, actually, probably around this time I got a tattoo on my arm. It's a dagger. And so I'm basically saying like laying down my knife. So I'm not allowed to hurt myself anymore. I love that. And I actually haven't. I haven't. So oh my, God, I'm so proud my dagger of you. is resting on my arms. So thanks. Yeah. So um, there have been times, you know, but there's like tricks where you can like clench your fists really hard or, you know, you hold ice cubes. So it's these things that can stimulate pain because pain has become a coping mechanism for me, a way to deflect from what I'm thinking and I can focus on like a physical feeling rather than, and it's also just to punish myself for feeling anything at all. I know that was a big part of it. I'd get so mad at myself for being so upset. So I took it out on myself. Yeah. We haven't really, I haven't really talked with anyone yet on the podcast about self-harm and like why we do it and what what it serves for me I think it's different for everybody what they get out of it but for me it was not only a way to distract myself from what I was feeling and I mean I I always hit it you know it wasn't like one of those things and you know when people say oh they're doing it for attention oh that's bullshit if they're doing it for attention, then that means they're really struggling and they Mm -hmm. need help. You know what I mean? Like people aren't doing it because they're like, Oh, I'm so fake sad. No, that is a big cry for help. So yeah, if you see somebody with that and the first thought is they like, they're asking for attention, they are. And that's a big cry for help. 
what would you recommend people do if they see someone with obvious self-harm scars like in public? So for me, I never really listened to anybody else about it. It was always something like I almost felt like I couldn't control. So what the best thing to do is to get somebody who that person can talk to whether it's like getting them to a therapist or a doctor or a friend maybe that they feel comfortable confiding in because I wouldn't have listened to anyone when it came to hurting myself, but being able to talk out the other issues then removed that need to because I found new ways of coping. Cause, but I um, there's a group called NAMI. It's oh, yeah. N-A-M-I. They are all across the country and when I was in Austin I went to their group therapy sessions I never thought I would like group therapy I was like that's really dumb I don't want to do it like whatever and I found it to be like one of the most healing experiences I've ever been Um, you can share or you can go and listen you can offer advice it was just a great little community that I went to um, and that was a big pain in my heart to leave Austin was to leave these people because that sort of relationship that you build in group therapy, you just can't replicate anywhere else because that's what you're there for is to share your pain. And that is something that is very, um, puts you in a very vulnerable state, but everybody's there for the same reason. And, you know, there are rules there too. So it's, you know, organized. So it's not just like a free for all and they're good people. So NAMI, NAMI is the organization. They have them all meetings all over there. Um, and they're what incredible. Is... They have different ones for family members, family members of people with mental disorders, like, um, addiction help. I believe they have one, especially for addiction. They have like these seminars you can go to too, that are like last, um, longer, or you can just go to like the weekly meetups. So, and it's free, right? Um, that is something it's free. Totally. And, yeah. what, and that's NAMI in a M I. What does that stand for? Um, I think it's like national Alliance no. for mental illness. Yeah. Mental illness or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think they're great. Yeah. The, I'm a little disappointed though, because the only one in here near me is like 40 minutes away and there's just no way I would make it. So I've definitely missed that a lot. And I definitely think about those people all the time, um, hoping that they're doing better and that they just are still going because I think that's so important. It just talking about it, writing it down a journal, it like sounds silly. I thought so too, but you just, you can't keep it inside because your mind plays tricks on you and your mind will warp things. At least mine does. Mine will completely spew these terrible things. And it's something to note that like, you can't always control it. You know, your, these thoughts and stuff there. I'm always curious to know, like people who are just like positive people Mm -hmm. who can like tell themselves that, I don't have that self-talk yet, but I'm working on it and I'm doing a lot better. Um, and journaling helps you yeah. with that? Yeah, it does. Because like writing it down and seeing, just not even seeing it, because I don't read it again hardly ever. Sometimes I'll go back and read stuff uh, so I'm just curious at where I was in my life. But you just get it out of your mind. So then it's like, okay. And then you don't have to tell anybody. 
Yeah. You don't have to tell anyone because you feel silly or embarrassed or you're like, God, I feel like all I do is talk about this, whatever. Just like write it down and get it out of your mind. And you, I mean, you'll still process it and think about it, but it helps. And I think it's like, it's been proven scientifically that that helps. And yeah. so I think that's a really easy, cheap thing to do if you're, if you just like, especially for me and my anxiety and my paranoia, I can't calm down my mind sometimes, no matter how much I do these other exercises that I've been taught. And so sometimes you just have, like, you just have to get it out because I'll just start, like, I'll just start spiraling out of control. And as soon as I write it down, it's sort of like, okay, you've made it known that you feel this way. And that's the thing. Let's keep going. Like, you can only keep something inside for so long before it comes out. Like, that's happened. That's what happened with you for years. And then, you know, it comes out in the form of, you know, self-injury, addiction, depression. I mean, one of one of the big themes I'm seeing with you is vulnerability. That seems to be something you struggle with, but it also seems to be the thing that really helps you. Yeah, it was. That's definitely a struggle of mine. I mean, I think that goes back to you know, from when I was younger, like having to stay strong, I wasn't, I felt that I wasn't allowed to be sick ever. So showing people being vulnerable, it's when you're, I mean, it's the meaning of it, you're vulnerable. And I never felt strong enough to stand up for myself. So, you know, letting people in and I never really had a relationship until after I got out of the hospital. So I met my first boyfriend after I got out of the hospital. And that was the first relationship I'd had, I'd ever had a long-term relationship. I didn't know that. Yeah. So I had dated and stuff, but my first long-term relationship, serious relationship was after I got out of the hospital because I think I finally learned or was being helped and know that, I had these tools so that I would be okay. And he was, he was really, he was a great guy. Um, yeah. So we moved down to Austin together. Um, but he was also struggling with mental illness and it was like, it was okay. We like, we worked really well for so long and we helped each other, but then it just became, I felt like I couldn't take care of both of us. And I felt like I was it was becoming more one-sided, but as far as I know, he's doing really well right now and I'm really happy for him. Um, so hopefully he's still out there and he's doing really well. Cause I actually know that I inspired him to go to a therapist cause we met up, um, about a year after we broke up, we saw each other again and we're talking and he'd been going to therapy and he started medicine. And so I'm really, really happy as he said that I inspired him to do that. And I Aww. hope that I can inspire anybody else. Just if you're not ready to get medicine, that's fine. Just go talk to somebody. Group therapy is a good way that really I'm like very serious about that, especially since there's a lot of free options Mm -hmm. because you can go and you don't have to talk. So you can just listen. And when other people are vulnerable and open about their things around them, um, it's nice to commiserate. And sometimes you feel like you hear things that people tell other people And it clicks with you because sometimes you can hear the same thing over and over and it doesn't make sense until someone puts it in a certain way, like a certain analogy just makes sense to you. So I think group therapy really helped me open up because 
it wasn't just like me talking to a therapist thinking like, do they think I'm crazy? Like, what are their other patients like? Mm-hmm. You know, I, like, cause that's what I thought I really did. And I was like, how much am I allowed to tell them? But like when you're in group therapy, you can say as much as you want and then you can hear what other people are saying. So then you can feel like you can say more or you can pass and you can just listen and just absorb. And I think that really helped me. And I found myself giving people advice too, thinking like, wow, I didn't, I, I wouldn't think that I would know, but I'm like, I actually have advice for you. And then helping other people, it just, it's a great feeling. And obviously like I didn't go there to help other people out, but it's like this symbiotic relationship. You end up. Sure. The most supportive people I know are extremely mentally ill themselves. Right, exactly. And it's really, people don't get it unless they know it. It's really, people can be empathetic for sure and sympathetic, um, but sometimes it really, really just takes someone who's been like, yeah, I've seen down the barrel of the gun. I know what that's like. I think it would be the same thing with people, let's say you have cancer and, you know, only somebody else with cancer who's had that news and heard that can really understand what that's like. The rest of us can, you know, we sympathize, we empathize, we do whatever we can to help. We would read books and all that, you know, for the most part, obviously no one knows exactly, exactly what you're going through because everybody's situation is completely different. But um, but yeah, there, everyone I, has yeah. something in common, you know, even if your situation is completely right. different, you're going to have something in common. And the only way to figure that out is by being vulnerable and talking about it. And I mean, group therapy is a great way to yeah, start that. Exactly. I, I'm going to put a link in the description for NAMI. If you have insurance, definitely call and ask them who's in your network. Um, my insurance company, this new one I have is really good and they actually help they help me a lot. They're very sympathetic. Um, I'm pretty sure I called them crying because I still couldn't <laughs> find a psychiatrist. And the lady was so nice to me. And she was just very helpful and very understanding this like poor insurance helpline um, woman. But definitely, if you have insurance, contact them. But yeah, NAMI is a great free resource. Yeah, I mean, that's how I found my therapist was just calling up my insurance. And I, I, I put it off for so long because I was scared that I would be bothering them or. Yeah, but like, I love procrastinating. Literally, <laughs> it's literally their job. They want to help you. And if they don't, then they're, they yeah, suck they at do. their job. <laughs> yeah, no, they really are. They, they're, that's what they're there for. They want to see you get your help and your doctor. And like that's why you get insurance is so that you can get the treatment that you need. So. Yeah. Yeah, if you have insurance, definitely call. Otherwise, um, NAMI really is the only organization I think I've worked with. The NAAA, those kinds of things. I know that a lot of people swear by them, and it doesn't hurt to just go to a meeting. So if you're struggling with some sort of addiction, just to go and just see how the meetings work. Some people say they don't work, but you never know. And it's just that sense of community that you can find anywhere is really, I think, is... Yeah, like I just basically had to stop being so proud. I think my Mm. pride was getting in the way of my vulnerability because it was like, that's not me. I'm not sick. I'm just a failure. Like I could do better. I can be better. Everyone else is fine. And then you find out, hey, no, everybody else is faking it too. We're all doing a very good job. 
Yeah, it's so true. No one wants to admit it, but we're all just fucked up and that's okay. Yep. I'm really My dad used to say that all the time. Yeah? He still does. He'll be like, everybody's family is fucked up, Kelly. Everybody. (laughs) It's It's so true. He's like, not just ours. Everybody's family is fucked up. Oh, yeah, you're right. (laughs) He always says, too, that if everybody put all of their problems into a pile, you would take yours back and no one else's because everybody's going through stuff and you really don't want anybody else's issues, you know? Yeah. So I always thought that was kind of interesting because you think, oh, this person has it so much easier, but like, do they really? You know, everybody's going through something. Yeah. For sure. I, I've always appreciated about you that you are very candid and honest about this kind of thing. I mean, a couple it, years out, after I got the hospital, I started talking about it and kind of becoming an advocate for it because I became so passionate about it. And I didn't want to see other people go through what I went through because I, as I found resources and help, I wanted other people to as well because you just don't you don't have to live like that. And I, I want to remind the listeners that, you know, if you're out there and you are struggling with this, like there are options for you. There's the group therapy. If you don't have insurance, you know, you can email a friend. There's hotlines like Kelly, you mentioned you you called the hotlines when you're in Austin. I've heard people say good things about them. What was your experience like? Um, It was good. Yeah, it was I had another one of those feelings like I can't do this anymore and I just thought like I've always seen the numbers and stuff for them so I just thought what the hell I'll give it a shot like I'm not totally ready to go but what it would always come down to for me was just like I can't do this anymore I'm just in so much pain I don't know what to do those next couple of times when I called the suicide hotline, it wasn't necessarily that I wanted to die. I mean, I have felt that before. I mean, I, you know, that I have felt that like I'm done. I don't want to live anymore. But these other times that I called them, it was just like, I, I don't know what to do. I just, suicide was always my plan B. For a long time, I just figured I would take my own life. That was just my plan. It didn't even become like a like a specific plan, even after like I got out of the hospital, it wasn't like, um, I didn't have like that specific plan anymore, but it was just always like, yeah, honestly, like if this just gets too much again, I'm just going to kill myself. That's what it was. I'm like, I'm so tired. I don't have the energy to fight anymore. I just, you know, you hit those walls and it's just, you just fall. And sometimes it's, it's so random. Sometimes there's a stigma and that's for sure because like people can get depressed after, you know, Mm -hmm. losing a loved one or something, but the kind of depression that I deal with, there's sometimes there's no stimulus. I just wake up and I just can't move. And that's the hardest part is because it felt like if you have a trigger, then you know what to work on. But a lot of times I don't have a trigger and I don't know what it is. And that's really stressful. Yeah, like I'll your just life start can, getting really anxious. Your life can be great on paper and you can still be depressed and you're like, what's wrong with me? Like, I have no right to feel this right. way. Right, Like this just same thing between like anxiety and nervousness. Like you can be nervous before a presentation and that can give you like debilitating anxiety. Like that is, but then that has a cause. Anxiety, just all of a sudden, I'll just be like shaking 
and trying to figure out. And sometimes it's like, Oh my God, I have so much to do whatever. And then sometimes I'm just like, I don't understand why I'm so anxious. I just like get these snowball ideas in my mind. And that's where like the journaling comes into because it's like, okay, just like write it out. I make lots of lists of things that I need to do. Um, when I'll, I'll write, I don't write in a journal every day though. It's not like, I don't do that. It's just when I really have something strong on my mind, I'll just write it out and you kind of like, you see it, you can kind of hear it in your head. You kind of, it just like, it calms me down. So that's why I like doing that. Sometimes there really isn't, or you can't figure out what the stimulus is. There, there just isn't, there's just so much stuff going on. This last depressive episode that I had, I just didn't understand where it came from. I should have been happy. I knew that I had been doing really well with my friends and family and I just felt exhausted and I just felt awful. I was like, I don't understand why I feel this way. It sucks. Yeah. It's like, am I going to deal with this in waves forever? Like, is that just my fate? Yeah. For me, even when I hit these depressive episodes, I rebound faster than I used to because I have more tools now and I have this medicine that helps, but I am starting new medicine regimens. And so that also could be a reason why my mood is fluctuating because when you're switching your dosages, it can really, really fuck with you. Being on the wrong medication for so many years, I can't imagine. But it's okay, because I feel like now I finally have a good answer, you know, and the fact that I'm down on my medicine, that's a good feeling too. I was just been overprescribed. And so they give you medicine to treat the symptoms of another medicine rather than trying to like cut back and then find a different option. It was always just adding on for me. It's just a nightmare. Yeah. And it really, it takes a toll on your body too, a really big toll to try and get on and off of stuff. So often different dosages, your mind just, I mean, these are all brain chemicals that you're getting. Yeah. And And that fucks with your body. I mean, the same way that physical illnesses can fuck with your brain, you know, it's, it's all connected. I'm glad that you have a psychiatrist yeah. now that you're working with. <laughs> like, that makes me happy for you. And I mean, this sounds cheesy, but life is Thanks. just bettering yourself until you die. Like, you're never going to reach your peak form, you know? Like, I don't believe in perfection. I don't believe in, like, being, quote unquote, happy. Right. You know, I do believe that they're enlightened human individuals. Like, I do think that's real. But I don't know if that's like something that everyone can achieve or if that's like special human beings who are enlightened. (laughs) I mean, but even those enlightened people deal with shit. (laughs) Right. Exactly. So it's not just like everybody's still dealing with. Yeah, exactly. You're right. I I mean, I don't know what the message is. This is beginning to sound depressing. I know. (laughs) No. But like you said, you, you find the things in life that can make you happy and get you through because the truth is, is that shit is never going to stop. Yeah. It, it just, it isn't. And so you have to find the ways that you can get through them because you have to get through them. That's just, like I was saying before, I just like couldn't live like that anymore. And there is yeah. potential to get better. Like, it seemed so hard and so unrealistic from where I was at. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I mean, I think once, I once you decide to be alive and to pursue help, you know, like you accept that shit's going to happen, but you are in this world and you're, you know, you have to play a part in your own recovery. 
because no one else is going to. Right. I'm kind of, you know, I'm 28 and I'm like, wow, I'm almost 30. And for me, it's less of like, oh my God, I'm getting so old. It's like, wow, I can't believe I made it past 25. Like, I didn't see this happening. I honestly didn't. I, there was just so many points in my life where I was like, I just thought, yeah, if it gets like this again, like I'm just done. It it just, you just get to this point where it's like, I don't want to do this next time. You know, you like, can't think of next time. You just have to take it one day at a time, you know? Exactly. And the thing is, is that when you're hitting that spot, you use your training and you think, okay, I'm really sad. It's not even sad. It's like pure devastation. But what you, you do is you go and you get help. So then the next time that it happens, it's not as bad because you have these tools and these resources and you have these connections to help you through it because truth is it's going to come again, but Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be as bad or last as long. I mean, it's just our chemical makeup and that's okay. Everybody's struggling with something. So you have to figure out your plan and figure out how you're going to, you're going to live with it because you have to, you have to. Got to strategize. Yeah. Find things. I mean, I know I felt ridiculous calling the suicide helpline. I was like, this is so dumb, but it really helped. The person on the other end was like very caring and it felt very genuine because I was always like, oh, this is going to be so stupid. Like this person's like, you know, they're volunteers. Like, what do they know? They're going to read from a script, but it wasn't like that at all. They were very genuine humans. I mean, a lot of them, a lot of people have gone through things and that's why they're there to support or they know they have loved ones who are there and they need to support. They're, they're not there to like get their volunteer hours. They're there because they don't want to see something like the pain that they've known in one way or the other. Yeah. They want to be there. They want to help you. So we need more psychiatrists in the world. So if you're listening, go to school to be a psychiatrist (laughs) You'll make good money. You'll make good money, and there's a shortage of them, and we need them. So, <laughs> yeah, this is the. I'm sign like, maybe that if I need... go back to school, if I had any money to go back to school, I would go to be a psychiatrist. But currently, swimming in debt. And, oh uh, God, yeah, I feel you on that. <laughs> I know. I'm saving up, and I'm trying not to let it weigh me down because I'm starting to pay off my debt, which I had deferred for a long time. Mm-hmm. So. I'm doing adult things now. It's pretty exciting. It's so scary. <laughs> oh, I know. I hate it. <laughs> it's it's like you said, like we didn't think we would get to this point. And so now that we're here, we're like, this is not how I imagined it. This is why am I still struggling? But there's some comfort yeah, in knowing was... that everyone is going through that. Like you can even laugh about it. Right. It's just I never planned for the future because I never thought there would be one. And like, I still try and live day by day, but I have this, I do put a little more effort into the future because I see a future now. Whereas before it was like, I don't need to save money. Like, yeah. I'm not going to be here in five years, you know, like I want to, I want to live while I'm alive. And I still live by that because, you know, things happen, but yeah. not in the same notion that I used to. I still live with the idea that I want to have a life and I want to enjoy things because, I'm not going to be like strapped to a desk and be miserable my whole life. But now I have this sense of purpose and knowing that there's years to come. So you still need to live your life, but 
I just have to plan a little for the future too, which is what I'm doing. And it's being an adult, I guess, and it sucks. But but I mean, it, it takes... At the same time, it's like I, I have ideas for the future, which I never did before, so... That's amazing. It's scary, but it's worth it. It's kind of nice. <laughs> um, obviously, just recently I had a pretty bad downfall, so it happens. But I have my sad music playlist and listening <laughs> to same songs on repeat until, like, my friend advised. He's like, go outside, get in the sun. And so I did. I went on a walk with my dog, and she loved it. And I it's like, it was just what I needed. I just needed... But it's so hard to pull yourself out of bed. But you get out and you do it and you just think, okay, now I can go back to bed. Yeah. Because you did something. Yes. You know? Like oh, if you, also if... make your bed every morning. Oh, my God. I, I totally agree. I make my bed every morning and it really does help. Like, I swear by it. I make my bed every morning because if nothing else, you've at least done. Yeah. Make your bed. Like, brush your teeth. Thing. Brushing your teeth just yeah. makes me feel like a whole new human. Yeah, exactly. Because the la- like the last week or so, I stopped making my bed. I was just like, and it's like it was a big clear sign to me that I was depressed. Like I mm-hmm. just didn't care to do it. And so my room is trashed right now. I just started cleaning it today because I'm feeling better. I've also been kind of busy, but I yeah. like I notice those things, and that's another important thing too is. When you notice that you're depressed, you should try and, or manic, you know, people who are manic too, you start to learn your warning signs. Mm. So then you can like take your plan into effect. Cause yeah, I know. So I knew that I was not making my bed anymore and not putting things away and not doing my laundry. And like, those are all signs. Those are all like clear signs. And so that's, I just like took a day to myself and laid in bed and did nothing and slept and just kind of gave myself time to just be sad because sometimes you just can't push through it. That's okay too. Give it's, yourself a day to be sick. Take a sick day. Yeah, I was going to say That's like it's hard cuz you ha- you can't you have to find the balance cuz if you take too much time you run the risk of like wallowing. Right. right. That's true. I love that idea though of just taking a sick day and just being sad. Right. Which I find very helpful because I feel like a lot of times there's a misconception of like all this help that you're getting. Like you think like, oh, it's all foolproof. I'm not going to be sad anymore. And then like you try these things and they just don't work. And then you're feeling like you're giving up because you're like these things aren't working anymore. But like you do have to let yourself be sick too. It's the same thing if you had a cold. Mm -hmm. Like you have you take a day to be sick. Don't give yourself too much time. Like you said, like no more than a day, just take a day just to like give yourself a break and be sad because trying to push it away and like working really hard is going to stress you out. Just like, yeah, lay in bed, watch sad movies, sleep, Uh. listen to sad music, play games, whatever it is. Like don't try and for like one day, don't try and make yourself feel better. That's okay. I love that so much because that's so hard for me to do. I, I also I right. try to push through it every time, but I'm totally going to take yeah. your advice next time I feel that way. Good, yeah. Like you were saying at the beginning, like you made up an excuse for your friends to not go out. But I mean, I think being honest, I think I've done that before too, or made up excuses. But, you know, sometimes you just do like, 
I'm really sorry. I'm just not feeling good. And that you can just leave it at that, you know? Yeah, and, you don't owe anyone an explanation. Yeah, and I've had to bail on people before because I'm too anxious. Like, I'm like, I don't understand why. I just cannot go out in public right now. And sometimes it's sadness and sometimes it's anxiety or whatever. And, and you just tell people, I'm sorry, I'm sick. And good. Because sometimes being in public takes a lot of energy for me. Oh, totally. I'm not really an introvert because I'm very social, but I also need my time to myself. And sometimes if I'm out with people too many days in a row and I don't get time to myself, I'll start to break down. So that's why I think those like sick slash sad days are good because I mean, like I need a day just for me. I'm for sure. I'm not one of those people who likes to be out all the time. That's why I like, I like people who like to stay in and watch TV because then you can just kind of like, you don't have to be so going and going and going because when you're sad, you know, and you're doing all that stuff and like you were saying, you try and push through it. That's exhausting. Yeah. You're just setting yourself up for more failure. Right. Because then you're just going to wear yourself out and you're not going to give your t- yourself time to rest. Because you're like, I can do this. I'm fine. And that's what I did for so much of my childhood. It's okay to be sad. Like, it's okay. And it's okay to be depressed. Mm -hmm. Because that's a reality. And it's okay to be manic or anxious. Give yourself time to feel it. Because you are feeling it. So feel it and let it go. And different things work for different people. And like, for me, I'm not sure if the one-on-one therapy is right for me. So, you know, I'm saying I might need a therapist, but maybe I need to find group therapy, you know? I mean, it seems like it worked for you in the past. Exactly. So, you know, that's why I say like, go talk to a therapist. If you're like, fuck this, don't go to a therapist anymore. That's fine. But then you did it. So then you're not just like, what if, you know? Yeah. Try out as much as you can, which it can be hard when you're depressed because you don't have any energy. Oh my God, it's so hard. It's so hard. But you have to try. Yeah, just go through the motions. Yeah. That's what it takes. Yep. It's like what they say, like smiling. If you like smile enough, your mind believes that you're happy or something. I think that's stupid and I don't do it. (laughs) But I tried it once and I just felt really creepy. It's same. Yeah. I'm like, what is this fake smile? Like, I don't like it. Fake it till you make it. Right. But that is sort of true. So yeah. it doesn't have to be like as ridiculous, like smiling yourself in the mirror and feeling like a total weirdo. But like going outside, taking a walk, be sad, watch a TV show, whatever it is. Yeah. Like, you just have to do something. I had a really, really bad day um, back in the summer. And it, that was another pretty bad episode. And they only last a couple days. But I was struggling and I was talking to my friend and he was saying like, did anything go right today? Like, let's talk about it. And I was like, no, I made my bed. That was the only thing I feel good about today. Well, that's something. Yeah. And that's what he said. He was like, and you made your bed. And I was like, and now I'm going to move on to tomorrow. But I did something. The day sucked and that's just how it's going to go. And I pushed through it and I got home to a nice clean and made bed and perfect for sleeping and that's all I wanted to do so also create a very good sleeping space for yourself sleep is so important oh my god yes I totally agree and like I know you're not supposed to like work in your bed or watch tv in your bed and stuff and like I understand that like winds you up a little bit when you should be winding down but like if that's what's comfortable for you yeah do it create a space that's comfortable for you 
if you need certain smells, if whatever, like good sleep is so important. Like depression sleep, I feel like doesn't count. So like you need drink tea or I take CBD oil. I was literally just about to say I tried some last night. Did you like it? Oh my God. It was the first night in I don't know how long that I've been able to go to sleep without taking my uh, sleep. I take Trazodone to fall asleep. Mm -hmm. And the the, um, level of sleep was so much better. Like the quality of sleep. I felt so amazing. And I slept like longer than I usually do. I slept like nine hours and I feel I felt amazing. Yeah. So I, I highly take it recommend for my anxiety because my anxiety medicine knocks me out. It makes me so tired because it's like either you can be anxious or you can be half asleep. So yeah. and I feel uh, like a lot of these psych meds, unfortunately, do have that side effect. Yeah. Like if I feel like it's either you're anxious or you're sedated. And so yeah. the CBD oil I don't know if it's legal everywhere, but it's getting there. Yeah. And because it doesn't have the same side effects there's, there's no THC. So there's no mental distortion. All it does is just like, it calms your body. And when you calm your body, cause I was on a medicine that was for fibromyalgia. And what that did was it like relaxed my nerves. So then my anxiety went down that had a lot of side effects. So I stopped taking it. Yeah. It sounds really it's, intense. Yeah, this was from the same doctor who put me on all those weird medicines. She, I think she just had like this experimental plan that she wanted to put me on. But Jesus. yeah, <laughs> but my doctor now, she seems very level headed and is like, let's just try these things and let's start slow. Like, so I really like her. And also, um, like I find a lot of comfort in female doctors. And so mm-hmm. I don't know if that's something people think about, but I definitely like I go to an all female run dentist office and that's just really important to me. So that's just something to think about if like comfort levels and things like that and who you trust. And some people it doesn't matter, but I just don't think I could go to like a male therapist or psychiatrist. And that's just, that's just, I mean, Hey, pussy power anyways, like that's <laughs> females in the industry, but That's just another thing to think of too. And not that I want to like emphasize gender because I know there's so much gender fluidity and stuff. But for me, that was really important. But just know what you're comfortable with and don't feel ashamed to speak up about what you need. Because they will ask you. I mean, I've been asked several times, they're like, do you prefer a male male or female doctor? And like, you can say, you, you can speak up. That is something that you can be. You have the right. Yeah. I'm totally a social justice warrior and stuff, but just you have to be comfortable because if you're going to get better, like you, it's like you were saying, you have to be vulnerable and you have to be available and comfortable to accept the help because otherwise you just, it's going to be half-assed. And you know what? That's a great way to start because at least you're doing it half-assed. Half-assed is better than no-ass. Exactly. (laughs) But it's not sustainable. So if you have to start, yeah, start somewhere, start anywhere. And that's the hardest part. And that's what they always say, whatever. But, you know, get up, walk your dog, make breakfast, go back to bed. Yes. I am really proud of you and your journey. I hate that word, but it's so true. Like, life is a journey. And yeah. I love that you've become this advocate for all this stuff that you've struggled with for so long. And like, you are someone that I feel like people can talk to. And that's so important. Thank you. Yeah, I definitely 
I'm extremely empathetic and um, that's good and bad. I see the good in people and sometimes sometimes it gets me in trouble because I give people second chances and things like that. But I just coming from where I've come from and struggling, nobody deserves to be alone. You know, that's just something. And the thing is, it's even if they don't have the family that's supportive or something, that's when you have to go out and build your own family. And that's hard, but that's where those group therapies can really come in because that isolation is killer. Yeah. I mean, that's what you do when you're depressed. You're just, you're in isolation mode. Like you can be surrounded by the best support system in the world, but you won't take advantage of it because you're depressed and that's how depression works. So sometimes like it's like we were saying, just going through the motions, if that's all Mm -hmm. you can do, that's fine. Then just do it until it becomes a thing. Yeah. Just do it. And if you're just do it. Yeah, just do it. <laughs> oh my god! I, I just watched an interview with him actually, with Shia LaBeouf, and he is actually very interesting and very smart. And I just think that I'm fascinated by him. What, so. what did you find out? Um. Well, so like that, just do it thing. That was like a project to be made into memes. Like he wasn't just going on like a psycho rant. Like he was <sighs> creating it for that purpose. But like everybody just thought that he was just like going nuts. Uh-huh. And so he just seems like a very true artist to me. So he's very strange, but he has like a different outlook on life, you know, but he's very, he's very smart. And um, he just put out a movie, um, Peanut Butter Falcon. I recommend that to everyone. Peanut Butter Falcon? It's called Peanut Butter Falcon. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's like a Tom Sawyer kind of Huckleberry Finn kind of um adventure movie coming uh, of age coming of age brotherhood you know um movie about like two runaways and it's beautiful the soundtrack's amazing the scenery is great and the story is so compelling and then he wrote a new movie that's coming out or directed it called i think it's called honey boy and it's loosely based on his life as a child actor so that i'm really interested to see as well because his projects are very well done. He's a really good actor. And I think people just have this idea that he's crazy. Yeah. It's hard to overcome that stereotype when you have it, when you have like a certain niche in Hollywood, it's hard to break out of it, but it seems like he's doing it. Yeah. And uh, so um, the interview I watched was on hot ones. It's like this show on YouTube where they eat wings increasing in the Scoville level and they ask interview questions Um, so it's, it's hysterical. The show is great. The interviewer is great. And, um, so I recommend watching that if anybody wants to, because, and my mouth just started watering, like talking about it. Like (laughs) now our listeners have a movie they can watch in bed when they take their sick day. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Peanut butter Falcon. It was very powerful. It was like one of the movies at the very end, you just kind of like sat and processed. And I liked that a lot. Well, shit. Now I want to watch it tonight. Yeah. I mean, I recommend it. It's, yeah. Well, so is there anything else you wanted to add before I let you go? It's been really great. And this is actually very fer- therapeutic for me as well, because I get to talk about things again. And it there's just, there's really no way to explain how much talking about what's going on, how that much that can help. So that would be my advice to anyone is whatever way that you can find someone 
or something to talk to because you just have to get it out of your head. So just talk to someone, write it out. And remember, and, and remember, boys and girls, it's okay to be sad. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> but take your sick days. It's okay. It's okay to take a sick day. Be yes. sad and watch Peanut Butter Falcon and it'll make you feel better. Make your bed, make scrambled eggs, and then go back to bed. And then the next day, put your game face on. <laughs> Doctor's orders, folks. Doctor's orders. <laughs> Dr. Kelly has spoken. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate the time that you took out of your day. Yeah, absolutely. And I know it was talking about this for like years. I know. It was so good to talk to you. Uh, thank you so much for letting me vent, I guess I feel course. like. Of <laughs> course. Thank you for venting. I loved every moment of it. I'm really happy for you too. I hope that you're also doing well. You seem like you're doing really well. I'm really happy for you and your new job. That's awesome. Yeah, one day at a time, you know, things just get, it's like, I was talking to a friend, like things seem really bad. And then by the time they're better, you don't really realize they are until you look up and you're like, oh, how did I get through that? Like, things are pretty good now. And that's how I feel right now. I don't really know how I got here. But you know, I'm not complaining. Right, exactly. And that's the hardest part is because it's time. It takes time. And yeah, you're right. One day you kind of realize you're like, wow, I'm actually feeling pretty good. Because somebody will just be like, how are you feeling? You're like, you know what? I'm actually doing really well. Yeah. Just hold on to that feeling for when you don't feel like that. Cause, right. Yeah. Just know that it'll come back. It'll yep. be there. All right, girl. I'm going to let you go. All right. But have a great rest of your night. Thank and you. You too. Yeah, I'll talk to you soon. Me. Yeah. All right. Bye. Bye.